So are you guys wolves or are you lambs or tigers or some other animal? Oh, I didn't know we could pick any well, animal. It wasn't, wow, yeah, it wasn't opens limited up. to wolves and lambs. There was also some tigers thrown in there. Was there? Um, I would have to go with a wolf, but I'd be like one of the helper wolves that's like kind of piggybacking off of... A beta wolf? Off of the other ones doing the real wolf. Yeah, yeah. I Not would. an alpha wolf? I'd be the comic relief wolf. No, that's too much work. Too much work. I'd be one of the dogs that the grandpa's walking. You walk see, in. I'm with you there. I feel like I'm more yeah. I'm less of a wolf and I'm more of a domesticated dog in the style of Lady from Lady and the Tramp. You know, I like a comfortable life. Yeah, if I poop, I need somebody <laughs> to pick it up. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. I'm Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. And today we are joined by our lovely ghoul friend, Eric Samaniego. Eric, what kind of movies do Hello. you like? Oh gosh, it runs the gamut. If I had to just out of the gate, I'd say that I grew up loving... 30s screwball comedies. I was very into the Marx Brothers as a kid, so you know I was very popular. Um, and then horror, I, I got into that uh, through Joe Bob Briggs when I was a kid. He was hosting movies on TNT, and so uh, just kind of the genre picture schlocky. Like I love, I, th I feel like anything in any movie, there's something to appreciate about it. I think that's something. a good attitude, and you know what? I'm with you on the screwball comedies. Definitely did not earn me any cool points, but I love a, a Philadelphia story, a Palm Beach story, uh, any oh, anything yeah. by Sturgis, Kukor, um, all the greats. I, I'm all for it, and they often have a romantic element as well. This is true. My, the Lady Eve is one of the greatest <sighs> movies ever made, and it was on the, the list. Best. I almost so, picked oh, it. Well, yeah, it was... Unfortunately, we'd already done the Lady Eve. The theme for that that yeah. week was actually boats. Uh, and what was the movie that you picked, Brett, for that week? Virus. And I recently saw some thing on Reddit that was like Jamie Lee Curtis was uh, like ragging on Virus, saying it what? was one of the movies she, she regrets. regrets. I was virus? like, that's a great movie. She was she was a great final virus girl great in movie. Virus. Yeah. It's a yeah, good anything, boat movie. Yeah, I, I feel like there should be things higher on the list that she should regret yeah. making. Oh, yeah. definitely agree. Even some things I love. Now, I mean... <laughs> Fierce Creatures may be among them. So. <laughs> I, I would definitely say among boat movies, I'm more of a Lady Eve person, but Virus was a good one. <laughs> um, so, Eric, this week you have chosen the movie Moonstruck. Tell us why you chose this movie. Well, um, it goes without saying that this is one of the greatest romantic comedies ever made, I think. 
And it was a staple of my house growing up. My mom loved it. She had the soundtrack. So the movie was either on the TV or the CD was playing. So, uh, you know, the whole vibe, it made me fall in love with whatever New York that was. And I wish I could visit that New York that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and the cast. My God, the cast. Back when you could have movies with people that were ugly. Like the, <laughs> all the true. character actors that are in it. It's 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 beautiful. It's got such great, all these great stage actors. Vincent Gardinia is in it, who's one of my all-time favorites uh, from Little Shop of Horrors. He's in All in the Family. He's just one of those guys. Who is Vincent Gardinia? So it just, it has everything. So he shares father. Oh, yes. Cosmo. Cosmo, which I, because I watched it last night, uh, and I had forgotten his name was Cosmo. Like, for some reason, that hadn't stuck out to me. And is that a traditional Italian name? Like, do we know why he's named Cosmo? I don't know. I mean, I feel like Carmine, Ronnie, Johnny, um, those seem like more traditional Italian names. Yeah, Cosmo. Cosmo, right. I almost would wonder, like, is that like a Greek name? It feels it feels Greek-ish. Uh, but yeah, his copper monologue is... Just uh, oh, gold. Uh, yeah. And also, Cosmo does sound like a nickname that would have been given to Carl Sagan in that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I, I like what you say about <laughs> this version of New York. It's kind of like Amelie's Paris. You know it's not real, but it's mm -hmm. a place you definitely would love to visit. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's, it's funny how New York... It, it is a is... character. So many different places. Yeah, the whole thing, the whole cliche that the city's a character. But it's growing up, I didn't go to New York until I was probably in my mid-20s. And so I had all these expectations because I'd seen Woody Allen's New York or uh, Scorsese's New York. And it, it just, it's, it's funny that so many people have looked at this one place, maybe more than any other city, certainly in American film, and given it so many different distinct personalities. I agree. Yeah, this is a very different New York from, say, the New York in Frankenhooker, for instance. Like, oh. I didn't see a single prostitute <laughs> in Moonstruck. I mean, uh, the lady that uh, Vincent Gardinia is screwing around with is close, but yeah, yeah. Mona. Yeah, Mona was definitely <laughs> towing the line of decency, but we don't need to use her for parts. Uh, True. Also, that woman is Liz Lemon's mother on Thirty Rock. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. There, there were a lot of great actors in this movie. I mean, Danny Aiello. Like, uh, I, I thought that the the couple that played um, Olympia Dukakis, yeah, another great actress. Um, oh, her brother and his wife were also played by great character actors. You had Frazier's dad, John Mahoney, mm -hmm. in the mix as well, and he was amazing. Um, you know what I learned, though? Uh, I Because my phone is listening to me, TikTok <laughs> suggested to me a video that was a, a making-of clip for Moonstruck, and they didn't know who they wanted to play Ronnie, because Ronnie's a really hard part to cast, and it was Cher that pushed to have, I think Nicolas Cage was 23 when he filmed this movie, but she was the one who fought to have Nicky, as they called him, but the studio didn't want Nicky, uh, and they, they really had to push to get him the role. And then uh, I think Norman Jewison, the director in this video, says, 
you know, Ronnie's a really tormented character, so I wanted a tormented actor to play him. <laughs> and, you know, who better than Nicky Cage? Yeah, I mean, he he is uh, one of the only actors that can do what I used to call yakting. Yakting? Where you can, it's, just, it's just yelling and make it not uh, frustrating or annoying or grating. It's just compelling. It's like uh, when Al Pacino leans really far in that direction. Like just kind of uh, over-the-top scenery chewing, and it doesn't – it works for me anyway. I love it. Oh yeah, this is this is scent of a woman level yakting for sure. Uh, the storybooks are bullshit. Uh, yeah, I I really I I love him in this movie. I actually um, one of the last times I got to see Moonstruck in theaters was during uh, Alamo Drafthouse was doing a cageathon, and Moonstruck was one of the movies that they decided to show, and I was very glad. For its inclusion because you know he can yak with the best of them in an action movie but it's even better <laughs> to see his yakting in a rom-com yeah he's got the chops he really does uh, when compared to the rest of the cast and uh uh you know before we went live we, we were sort of discussing that nick cage i mean he's definitely made some choices that weren't the best and he's maybe phoned it in so he has a bit of a reputation i think among some people uh, as being maybe past his prime, but when he really tries, he's still very impressive. Oh yeah, I mean, I think you know you've got adaptation. I think that there's there's a lot of roles that uh, Nicky Boy has excelled <laughs> in. I think he's kind of like he, very different styles, but like Keanu Reeves, like you put him in a role that's right for him, and he really excels. Hmm. Right. Like, we all remember Keanu yeah. and uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I love, right. love that movie. But there is something that doesn't quite work about him in it. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Much Ado About Nothing as well, where it's like, what yeah. are we doing? Like, even even Denzel <laughs> fit way better into that world than, than Keanu did. Um, so maybe, maybe no Shakespeare for Keanu, but I, I don't rule <laughs> Shakespeare out for Nicolas Cage. So let's see, let's see how oh, he no. does. Oh yeah, he's aging into some some good Shakespeare roles. I could see him doing a whole King Lear. <laughs> that would be insane <laughs> in the best possible way. Now, Brett, this is your first watch of Moonstruck. You're you're with some Moonstruck. Um, I don't know what's the word I'm I'm thinking of. I don't know, but you're a Moonstruck novice. Uh. What was your what was your impression of this movie? Because if you say you hated it, I'm going to come over to your house and murder you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the best way I can say it is like even though I didn't like 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 it, the movie is infinitely charming that it's impossible not to like. Um it, there were it was just people just being around all the side characters and Eric, you're right. Like this is people that you could just pluck from the street of New York. Like they just felt and looked like they fit right in. Um, I just had a blast kind of hanging out with the side characters, but in terms of the actual romance of the romance comedy, I don't know. I'm glad that 
I'm glad that someone picked this movie to be on here with Shira to talk about it because it's weird and bizarre. <laughs> I don't <laughs> and, disagree like, with that. Too. I don't. Same. I just I'm I'm curious to know what two people who really like the movie have to say about everything this movie does because <laughs> it's an interesting one um but yeah one of my favorite nick cage stories is when he was um uh when mark neville dean the one of the co-directors of crank and crank 2 was on the podcast for how did this get made they were talking about ghost Rider, and so nick cage played ghost Rider, of course and the people who did Crank and Crank 2 did the sequel to Ghost Rider. And at one point, they asked Nick Cage to do something crazy. And Nick Cage just went to him and he was like, you guys, I'm running out of ways to do crazy. <laughs> and that was back in 2011. The guy's still doing crazy like no one else. And this movie has a really bizarre level of crazy in it that you don't see in rom-coms and like it felt kind of weird and oddly mature but also just strange (laughs) yeah i think you're right it is a strange movie but i think it's strange in a good way and it's also called moonstruck meaning everybody in this movie is a lunatic right in almost a literal literal sense so of course they're going to act crazy. And I I feel like, uh, again, like this, this clip I watched, um, it was either Norman Jewison or Danny Aiello that was saying that Nick Cage was really good at chewing the scenery. And I feel like it's almost literal, where it's like he can, like, <laughs> chew, like he could chew on a piece of furniture and it'd be like, oh, that's just Nick Cage. Yeah, I mean, the movie has, a, like, a an operatic tone, mm-hmm. which I, I, I think is, you know, why we have the, from the beginning of the, the title card, we see then afterwards a, a truck carrying scenery to the Metropolitan Opera and opera is such a big, important thing in the movie and opera is so big and grandiose and over the top and stagey. And so the performances and some of the emotions that come across feel stagey. And I, I like that. And it feels in a, one way, inauthentic because it is intentionally over the top but in another way it feels very warm and uh, familial just because of the you know the dynamics between some of the characters but it definitely feels like it's over the top to be an opera like i could see this staged with music and i hope somebody does that eventually uh, a moonstruck musical <laughs> i'd be all about it all of familia let's do it uh all right well brett why don't you kick off the summary for us tell us the story from your point of view all right well we open with loretta loretta is Cher, and she's just like a normal lady doing a normal job um she's a bookkeeper and She's just kind of, like, surrounded by interesting characters, and it seems that, like, in this world of New York, love is always on everyone's mind, (laughs) all the time. Um, And uh, very quickly, we meet uh, Johnny. Johnny Johnny is her... Johnny Camareri. He um he's Danny Aiello and they're having dinner and there's not really like 
this big thing about love, but he proposes to her and she makes him go through these motions and she's kind of like having fun with him. And uh, we just kind of get the sense that, you know, even though they're about to get married, they're maybe not deeply in love. Um, I love this scene so much. What did you... I? I thought that this was a good opening to the movie, a good opening to their relationship, because there was a lot of kind of just little antics in the restaurant that that filled it with some personality. Um, I like the waiter guy who was very invested, (laughs) yeah, in their relationship. Um, But yeah, what what do you guys think about uh, her and Danny, her and Johnny? Well, I... Love that you immediately get a sense of these two characters. And as you said, it's it's less about love and it feels more like it's it, it's an arrangement. Like, we're dating, you're a nice guy, I'm a nice girl, let's just do this. And the way she's sort of instructing him, wait, you're not going to get on your knees? And then he does very obediently and then shuffles over to her. Yeah, exactly. It, I think it's very charming and, and Cher... This is maybe the best movie that she's been in. The way she comes across, she's so charming effortlessly, and it really, this role fits her. And as you said, uh, Brett, the uh, little side characters that fill this space, the waiter, the older gentleman with the, uh, with the um, apron up to his, you know, nipples, basically, <laughs> walking around and filling the scene. Like, it just, it's just, uh, it starts off, I think, really strong. Oh, I love it so much. And then you have John Mahoney breaking up with his latest girl. Uh, you have the the two patrons that are, you know, like Statler and Waldorf kind of giving <laughs> the commentary like, ah, I would have bought a ring. Like, what are you doing, man? I, I love <laughs> that so much. And and then his whole response to her asking for the pinky ring. I like this ring. He doesn't even want to <laughs> give it to her. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's such a good world building to me. And then, you know, you get that sense of Loretta, like she's really obsessed with luck and having had bad luck. She wants everything to go a particular way so she can, you know, reverse the bad luck that she's had. Yeah, yeah. You get the idea that the last time, I mean, this comes up later in the movie, but you get the idea that last time she married for love, it didn't end well. So now she's thinking, well, I should just do it the traditional way and kind of like force it and just maybe fall in love over time. Um, But one of the things that I really, really loved about this movie was that they get rid of Johnny immediately. Because that that just gets rid of that awkward tension of the fact that, like, she ends up falling for the brother. And that's a kind of tension I don't need in a romantic comedy. <laughs> so the fact that they, like, they establish that this isn't really truly about love and he's leaving her to go do something else to take care of to take care of his dying mother, um, who he's very concerned about. Um, it's, it's a great way to just get rid of that driving force of the plot. Um, and I love just, you know, again, this movie's got a lot of buttons and ribbons and stuff on scenes, meeting the old lady who put the curse on the plane. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Such a great scene. 
Um, and yeah, everyone's got a, a witty one-liner. So even at the end of her cursed monologue, it's like, I don't believe in curses and neither do I like, uh, what are you going to do? How would you rate uh, Johnny as a Bellamy? Bellamy being, you know, the the other guy, the wrong guy. I think he's a great Bellamy for how little he's in the movie. He comes in there, you immediately see all the reasons why he's just wrong for Cher, and then he leaves when you want him to be gone, and it would be too much stress to have him around, and then he comes back at the perfect time. Exactly. I can't imagine having him in the rest of the movie. Like, what more scenes could he have with Cher? What would those be like? Just them sitting in silence watching television or listening to a record? (laughs) Because I can't imagine this man has much personality. It'd be a very different movie. Very different marriage story. Uh, And yeah, I like... And then, of course, to kick off the plot, he doesn't go to Ronnie himself. He's like, I need you to do this for me. Yeah. (laughs) It gives you an idea of that he's sort uh, of an infant. Mm-hmm. Oh, and doesn't Cosmo calls him a baby? Yeah, 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 that's right. At the end of the movie, yeah. I think Cosmo calls him a baby when she tells him that it's Johnny. He's like, "Oh, Johnny, he's an infant." No. <laughs> oh, and I like I like this line. Um, she tells she tells Cosmo, and he's like, "When he smiles, I can't see his teeth. What is he hiding?" It's such a good line. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always show my teeth. Um, <laughs> uh, like a true wolf. <laughs> well, no, it's usually um, flashing my soft and, uh, underbelly. So, you know, they know that they have the upper hand. Yeah, Ernie does that too, my dog. It works very well. We call it his shameless display. Well, I'm familiar with my shameless display. Uh, <laughs> And so Cher drops him off at the airport, and then the next day or that night, she goes to a shop, right? And there we meet the shopkeeps, who are a married couple, and we get this wolf, this tiny little wolf monologue that, um, perusing through IMDb trivia myself, the original title for this movie was called The Bride and the Wolf. I like that they changed it to Mm -hmm. Moonstruck. That was a good change. Yeah. Pretty good name for a horror movie, mm-hmm. though. The Bride and the Wolf. Universal Studios, um, 1944. Yeah, the Bride and the Wolf. <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> Featuring that Lon transatlantic Chain. accent um, is, you know, chef's kiss. Perfect. Oh. I can 1941, a world at war. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you know your screw. Uh, and she gives this... <laughs> She gives this, uh, the, the shopkeep, the lady shopkeep gives this, this little monologue about how, like, this man has this leering aspect about him, and he has this carnal hunger for, for flesh, and he's just like every other typical man, you know, like a wolf. Um, but this is where I say, like, the movie has that sort of R slash contagious laughter, because the button on the scene is the man going to the woman, you know what I see in you? the girl I married Aww. and then everyone just kind of like chuckles and it's this contagious chuckle. Cause he chuckles and she chuckles and then share chuckles and then I'm chuckling. And like the whole movie is just got this little bit of whimsy. Um, but she goes home and has, and like tells her father that I'm getting married and it, 
I I don't know. I I didn't really. I, I I'm confused about Cosmo and what exactly <laughs> his role in the movie is. Um, it just seems it seems strange, and her relation with him seems strange. Um, I I, I you don't mean know. his wife's what, relationship. What do you guys think about? Or Cher's with, uh, relationship. I mean, with um, oh, Cher's relationship to Cosmo. Okay. Yeah, because she like she kind of confides in him. They go and they have this little thing where she's like, "I'm getting married to him," and he's like, "Eh, you've already been married." And then he's like, "We got to break the news to your mother." And your mother and the mother is like, "Do you love him?" And she's like, "No." She's like, "Good." So clearly, I love that read. You know, even though it's like a, it's it's a it's a funny line, and she delivers it well. Like you know, like, "Do you love him?" No, good, because when you love him, it's really trouble. But I think that's the weirdness, though, is that their marriage, Olympia Dukakis, and um, what's the actor who plays Cosmo? Oh, uh, Vincent Gardenia. Yeah, Vincent Gardenia. Their marriage is in trouble. Cosmo's acting weird because he's having this affair. He's no longer coming to bed at night. He's saying things like, oh, I don't want to sleep because that feels like death. He's he's afraid of being old. <laughs> and I think that having this conversation with his daughter Loretta about the marriage and his expectations as a father. It's, you know, just another thing that makes him feel old. Like his life isn't, isn't stabilized anymore. And he's, you know, looking for these things that make him feel young and new again, similar to John Mahoney. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that maybe what we're seeing is that the way Cher is shutting love out and doing what she thinks she should do, uh, her father is shutting out his wife, who he did love. And we see, you know, later there's some talk about when he was young, how uh, they'd never seen somebody so in love. His brother-in-law says that uh, later in the movie, that maybe because he's having, he's got caught up in all this fear, the way Cher is caught up in fear of being broken again by love, that he's caught up in this fear of getting old. So instead of opening himself up to love his wife, he started to look for things just to distract himself. Right. I think that's exactly what's going on with him. And, you know, I it's sort of like it. he reminds me a little bit of the father in my big fat Greek wedding where he's this this patriarch who maybe he doesn't want things to change or things are changing so rapidly. He's getting old and and he's rejecting that. It's you know. It's exactly what you said. And, and yeah, I think that that's part of the awkwardness or the weirdness that you're talking about, Brett. Yeah, that they're on in, really in the same place, but in very different ways. And so maybe unconsciously, yeah. he's giving her an example of what could happen if, you know, she chooses not to um, explore love. Yeah, and um, one of the things, as you guys mentioned, is uh, he has to, there's, you know, she's she's kind of more obsessed with tradition this time around, and as the father of the bride, he's supposed to pay for the wedding, and that's very important. Um, in fact, it's his father who's the one who's walking the dogs, right? right? And so the next morning, we, we kind of get 
a, a little insight into him as he goes um, to visit a grave, or it's he goes to visit yeah, a grave. Yeah, all his friends right? are dying. Mm-hmm. Right, and so there he kind of expresses to his friends like, "Hey, I gotta like I really gotta tell my son that he's got to pay for his daughter's wedding," and um, uh, and so while the while Cosmo gets ready to go to work. Um, Olympia Dukakis, the mom and Cher, uh, they have breakfast, and the movie kind of really shines when those two get together. <laughs> um, I like just hanging out with the mom. Olympia Dukakis uh, is so I, I don't great. know if I've ever really... S- yeah, I don't know if I've ever really seen... I was going through her, um, her filmography. I don't know if I've really seen her in anything, but she was great in this movie. Um, and she kind of like talks with Loretta over breakfast and Loretta is tasked with contacting Ronnie, who we don't know anything about other than you guys are right. Like Johnny is a child and he's scared of his brother, (laughs) essentially. Um, he can't be bothered to talk to him. Johnny is just too volatile. You never know what's going to happen with or Ronnie's too volatile. You never know what's going to happen. And, um, even on the phone, he, he kind of like blows off Loretta and doesn't care and gets in like immediately gets under her skin in a very interesting way enough so that when Loretta goes to talk to him in person, there's this immediate source of tension. It's delicious. I love it. (laughs) That is um, is aided by the fact that they're having this, for the very first time meeting, they're having a very heated discussion in a bakery, like a, a, an oven it's like he's heated in the bakery pits of hell, basement. The way he acts oh, yeah. in that. Right. <laughs> the he is. <laughs> He is a true wolf uh, in the truest sense. His he's he's very sweaty. He's very hairy. He's very primal. And um, yeah, Eric, I think you you said it best when um, like the beginning of this movie really sets the tone for that operatic nature by by putting it out front and center at the beginning of the movie because this over the top performance feels very driven <laughs> from within <laughs> because everything that he's talking about is like to me it's like what are you talking about but the character is has been mulling this over in he's his head while shoveling coal into an oven for Five what years. how many years now has he been doing this 5 years um but I- I wow, him. this character is... <laughs> I do... <laughs> He's been doing I it really a while. I love, though, when he says, bring me the big knife, and it feels like something he said yeah. before. Like, telling... I'm not gonna do this it. This plays through his head every morning when he showers. Do it. Like he's he's said this monologue in his head so many times that he's finally getting it out. Oh, I love it. Okay, I gotta ask, what do you guys think? Is it Johnny's fault? That Ronnie lost his hand. No. 
But I also don't know what Johnny was doing. He says later, Johnny he made me look the wrong way. But I mean, I think it's on Nick Cage. Yes. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think Cher's got his number later when she perfectly gives him the wolf monologue back and is like, you chewed off your own butt. I do think she tells oh, him yeah. his life accurately, but mm-hmm. the whole thing gets us that great, was one of my favorite lines in the movie. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. It's just so great. That young lady at the bakery that has a crush on him that we get that one moment with where she declares to uh, the person next to her, like, I'm in love with him. Only he don't know that because I've never, I never told him. And that whole little moment, that is one of the greatest yeah. moments in any movie. I, I wish she was in more stuff. I've looked her up. She hasn't done barely anything. But that little moment is so crazy and over the top and weird. And it's just the best. Yeah, she kind of reminds me of, um, uh, what's her name, uh, Carol... Um... Kane? Yeah, Carol, she kind of has that Carol Kane voice. Yeah. That's yeah. the most tormented man I've ever known. <laughs> and it, yeah, so I agree great. with you. He is... It, it, helps, it, it helps kind of swallow the pill of Nicolas Cage's death character because he is so tormented that his torment bubbles over into other characters who torment themselves with how tormented he is uh it's bizarrely sad (laughs) yeah honestly if any of your listeners um, uh, out there are actors uh please start using that little monologue for auditions Oh, I agree. I was actually yeah. thinking the same thing, how this would be such a great, you know, actor studio monologue to do for someone. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the fact that it, she's one of the most memorable parts of this very long, big movie says something about her. So, yeah. Yeah. In sort of the big, one of the big set pieces of mm-hmm. the movie. Um. But yeah, the whole thing kind of culminates in this in this very sort of idea that like she is the one who who can tame the beast. She runs to the um, wolf in him. It's kind Is it what was the movie that we watched? Was it Leap Year where they talked about the beast? Yeah, right. Oh, Every man's I, got I a beast. I mentioned that, that needs to I, be it tamed. felt like yeah. they were cribbing off of Moonstruck, but not doing it very well. <laughs> right, and um, so she goes upstairs. She's like, "Where do you live?" He's like, "Upstairs." Very convenient, but also very kind of typical and romantic in that New York sense of like. You, you know, each neighborhood's insulated. Like, yeah, you live right above where you work. Um, and so she goes upstairs. She cooks for him. She doesn't cook him the meal the way that he likes it. She cooks it the way he needs it, right? He doesn't need a well-done piece he of meat. Blood. He needs the raw blood, right? He's He's got to have that, that blood flowing through him. He's an animal. He's a carnivore. And um, so while they're having this sort of raw meat dinner for breakfast 
we cut over to Cosmo, and Cosmo is, you're right, he's giving the gold thing. It's kind of like plastics copper. in The Graduate. It's like <laughs> copper. It saves money. Or it's it copper. costs money because it saves yeah. money. And yeah, and you can tell he's yeah. said it a million Men times Men would before. understand this, all right? Yeah, women don't quite get it, okay? But men, men know. Him in that suit, on. bent over with that pocket knife, is so funny. Oh, and his his little the little faces he's making the like hmm faces when he's scratching yeah. the pipe. It it is mm-hmm. perfect. He's very he his pitch is very well calibrated, and um, even his retelling of the pitch to Mona. As uh, he he reminisces over it and and kind of basks in his own glory, um, he he tells Mona about how great of a job he did selling them on the copper, and we we also yeah we get the the side plot of him having an affair, and one of the things that is interesting is. Um, uh, well, we'll 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 get to that later because Olympia Dukakis covers it very well. But we we want to get back to Sharon and Nicolas Cage because they's about to fuck. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that this movie doesn't show any of that. Like it doesn't show the raw passion of of the the sex affair. Oh, it's, it's just like no, you get the. Yeah, you get the build-up. You get the big build-up of, like, she's about to be trapped in this life that she is working hard to get, but it's not for her. Um, and we we don't want it to be for her. We want better for her. We want passion for her. And Nick Cage is pure Son of a passion. bitch! <laughs> <laughs> And him knocking uh, things off the, the table, turning the table over, and then just, wow, going to town. Like, that's great. It's, yeah, he he does crazy well, and despite what he says, he's still got plenty of ways to do crazy. <laughs> um, it's just bizarre. I don't know. Like, I, it didn't quite... I, I, I felt like Sonia watching Hot Rod. <laughs> Cause when Sonia, when I, so it took Sonia four tries to get through Hot Rod. And the whole time Sonia must have just been watching the movie going like, I just don't get it, right? But like, I just don't, it, I don't get it. I don't get Nick Cage in this movie, but people really like him. Like, he's got a kind of spice and a flair that it's an it's an interesting taste. What is it? What is it that Corvo says? I'm Italian. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. It's like the the aggressiveness would really not play well under certain actors. But something about the way he does it doesn't feel predatory or too much, at least from from my vantage point. And it it is very theatrical. And because the opera music is swelling in that moment, it feels like we've now fully gone to the, for a moment, this kind of, not magical realism, but we've gone fully over into the dramatics, the stage dramatics of this um, relationship. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I also like uh, Cher's reaction of, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then she waits a minute and then she's she's fully into it. <laughs> And she's she's ready to let him take his revenge on her and leave nothing left. It's so <laughs> Oh yeah, those lines. Wow. It, it's I picked my bones clean. Yeah, it's so over the top, <laughs> but you know, I feel like it works for them. Like for the woman who wears Bob Mackie and the guy who does crazy, it just it it's odd, it's bizarre, it's as weird as you say, Brett, but I think it just totally works. And I do remember the first time I saw Moonstruck, I, like Eric, I think I saw it when I was a little younger, and I remember being like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, I don't think I'd ever seen a romance movie where they just get right to fucking like that. Right. Um, <laughs> no preamble. No preamble at all. But but then, you know, I was I was rooting for it. And, you know, after that, it, it's like he never changes his mind. He is all in on Loretta. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a character who's felt very sorry for himself for the past five years. And... Um, Loretta, instead of babying him and coddling him, is, like, feeding into that by, like, yeah, take your revenge out on me! I'm here for it! Um, and it's a, it's a very strange move, but it's a very New Leaf move. It's a very, um... It's a very Woody Allen move that instead of then focusing on their relationship, we go to a dinner scene where her family is all gathered for dinner where she should be, but isn't. Because in a traditional house, she should be staying there until she moves in with her husband or preferably the husband moves in with her, right, with them because they have this giant house in New York City that they comment on later. When I was watching it, all I could think about was how much that house would cost now. Oh, I got a small fortune. Oh, oh my golly. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard that to kitchen. avoid stuff like that. But um, it's it's there. Yeah, this is a very nice house. And it's a very nice family. And they reminisce over Cosmo being so in love with... Um, what's her name olivia dukakis Rose, yeah. with rose that that one night cosmo showed up and just by showing up and being so in love the moon followed cosmo to rose's house and woke up rose's brother and rose's bro this had such an impact on Rose's brother that he remembers it and he remembers how bright the moon was and how big it was and how just how much love filled the the air and the world and the universe like it's just so it's so Woody Allen <laughs> it's so yeah, I loved it's it. it's uh, it made me emotion. It made it me is. emotional. It's very nice. I mean, I, I got I got a little sentimental during that scene, and and later when you know Cher goes to look at the moon, and it's Cosmo's moon, and and uh, the brother sees yeah. it again, and is like, is he down there? Uh, I I loved that <laughs> scene. That scene between Rose's brother and his wife later when they see Cosmo's moon again. That that also made me a little emotional. 
because it was just so sweet. It was like the couple at the liquor store. They just, you know, they they give us yeah. some good when Harry met Sally style old couples that you can really feel for. Yeah, I, uh, I as a rom com fan, uh, thinking more along the traditional aspects, I want to see more of Cher and uh, Nick Cage and why she's attracted to him, other than this bizarre vibe he's got going on. <laughs> but as a as a cinephile, like. I appreciate the diversion into just more of this love is a theme. And I, I really think that going with Moonstruck as a title is way better than Wolf and the Bride. <laughs> because, yeah, like the moon striking the characters is is sort of like a thematic presence throughout the rest of the movie. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting scene. <laughs> um but yeah we, we this also gets capped off with dogs howling at the moon right um the the father-in-law rose's father-in-law cosmo's father takes the dogs out encourages them to bark at the moon because love is so in the air um but then we have the morning after and the morning after of course Cher, Loretta is so distraught because now logic is setting in and the realization that, uh-oh, like she's starting off her big safe bet, safe life marriage with a big secret. You got um, them bad eyes like a gypsy. It's... I love that line. <laughs> um... Yeah, she essentially has to like he the the he immediately confesses his love to her and she's like I can't have it. I can't even with you Snap right out now. of it. So <laughs> uh, Wait, I need to hear that again at full share. So Shira turn your share all the way up cuz I got to hear that line. Snap out of it. There we go. <laughs> Everybody finish your drinks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 like every other drag queen I've heard impersonate Cher. It's, I feel like that's one of those iconic Cher lines that a Cher impersonator has to learn. Oh, yeah. You don't get to put on that either uh, curly black wig or maybe uh, the <laughs> short uh, blonde bob of the I Believe era unless you can say that line. This is very true. Uh, per Perusing through IMDb, I saw that this was number 96 on the top whatever 100 list that someone made. And I was like, snap out of it. That's such a generic kind of phrase. Like, why Like, why would that be in a top 100 movie lines thing? It's but man, slaps. yeah, seeing Cher deliver the line. Yeah, seeing the slaps, seeing her deliver the line. I was like, oh, right. Okay, that's why. <laughs> yeah, seeing that, it's um, funny now to like realize, because Cher, obviously, icon. But thinking that back then, there were still people that doubted her as an actor because she'd been a singer and had a variety show. And that like she really showed right. everybody like, yeah, she's got the chops. So something interesting, yeah. again, that I, I'll, I'll have to send you guys this clip after, but um, the actress who played 
uh, Rose's brother's wife. She's like a real Brooklynite. Apparently, Cher was, you know, she really wanted to get the Brooklyn accent right. She wanted to get the cadences all right for the character. And so that actress, uh, she recorded all of Cher's lines and Cher listened to a tape to make sure that she could get the accent for this character exactly right. And the the actress who who played the, the, the wife of, you know, Rose's brother was saying, Oh, well, she got it immediately because she's a musician. And so she, you know, she understands mm-hmm. sound. She understands the music and the in the words and and how to get that almost immediately. Right. Wow. I wonder if that tape exists still. I would love to hear that. Oh, yeah, me too. You can hear Michael Mann saying the same thing about Jamie Foxx for Collateral. Really? And- commenting on how oh. his his musician timing aspect um really probably helped because that's what drama is drama is timing yeah um, yeah drama comedy all of it. It, it like even horror it all has to stem from like yeah. knowing how and when to deliver something and the rhythm of something the way something sounds especially like a joke like it all has a rhythm yeah uh, Nick Cage is bizarre in this movie and Cher is over the top but her you're right like her her lyrical delivery of all the lines never made her character seem as crazy <laughs> um, she was always a bit more grounded in that aspect um, she, she she did a very good job with this role um, and in fact the next scene she has is her going to church and of course immediately confessing this to her priest who of course like as you know this is a a neighborhood that has its church with its priest who gets confessions all the time you know you you it's only been two weeks for her since her last confession i'm sure that's a long time for 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 people like us right we go to confession all the time um oh, I but to uh she goes I to confession today. and you'll go to <laughs> confession after. right after uh, too. oh yeah <laughs> and uh of course the priest knows who it is and um uh but more interestingly than her her conversation with the priest is her conversation with her mom her mom shows up at the church and they kind of just have like a heart to heart um and they both sense that something is off and um uh the mom rose clues us in that she knows that Cosmo is having an affair. So again, this movie kind of foregoes that aspect of the tension of the movie because we're not interested in that. We're, we're moving beyond that. The tension is, is coming from, I don't know, within the characters themselves and not these external plot factors right Um, i like that we do away with that discovery aspect like of course she knows mm -hmm. because rose is incredibly wise and hip to you know everything going on and and then it becomes this sort of existential journey of her 
getting men to answer honestly in her mind why do men chase women mm-hmm. she's like socrates <laughs> right well and also i think as an audience uh it it does make it easier because obviously we don't want him to be doing what he's doing but i think if we saw a scene play out where she discovers and had no idea that he was doing that it would make it a lot harder for us at the very end to kind of forgive him right yeah, and we don't see her discover mm-hmm. it. She just lays it out that, like, nope, I just figured it out. I'm married to him. Of course I knew something was weird. Right. Um, but then we start to move into probably, like, the the three biggest culminating aspects of the movie, which is... Um, we, we get this sort of makeover shopping scene where Cher rediscovers her femininity. But but the main part is that she's sworn off Ronnie. She's like, I'm not going to be with you, but he's like, just let me take you to the opera. This is is the last (laughs) thing that I will, it's, it's the last job. This is the last thing that... I only love two things in this world. <laughs> you and the opera. Let me have them together for one night. <laughs> um, and so she indulges him on and this. And she indulges herself. And he, yeah. Yeah you're, yeah, you're right. She's doing it for her. There's, there's no sense that she's doing it for him. She knows it's a bad idea. And he kind of is... It's, it is just weird because it's... It's like he's not trying to seduce her, but he does want to be with her and he does want to be romantic with her. But also she's like she's kind of not saying no because she's she's wooed by his his inner torment. Um he's he's got this artist torment that um I don't know. Even though he's he's a, a coal shoveler by day, you get the sense that he is truly at heart an artist by night. He ha- has some uh, sort of Bukowski vibes in that he's blue collar, but has all these, you know, flowery ideas internally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't put that together, but you're absolutely right. He's very Bukowski. Um, and so she gets all made up. She's all very fancy and he gets all made up. He cleans up pretty well. Um, but it's also like kind of not surprising because he's clearly so like interested in the opera and has such a, a taste of the fine arts that like, this isn't his first time doing this. Like he's not completely out of place. Mm. It's just... It's maybe been a while for him. And, um, but yeah, they go to the Met. They have this big romantic eye scene where they kind of like meet again for the first time in front of the mount, uh, the mountain, in front of the fountain. And, uh, it's, it's very romantic. And they go inside and they watch the opera. <laughs> it is like the way that he, uh, he re- responds to her. Uh, when he sees her for the first time, she's done her hair. She's in a new dress, and he the way he thanks her. Oh, I loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thank you for everything. I, I think that that's a really sweet moment, and that's another 
a moment where she looks at him and sees something beyond the wolf. Right. Yeah, you're right. That is a very interesting moment. Uh, I always like it when characters thank each other in movies. And um, it, it was. It was like he was thanking her for, like, being the the being his ideal date for the opera, even though he knew that she didn't want to do it in a way. Right. Um, but yeah. It's, I was going to just say that, it, and it's contrasted later with, you know, sort of the superficial relationship that Cosmo and Mona have where she says, no, you didn't say anything about mm-hmm. my dress. And he's like, it's very bright. It's very bright. <laughs> um yeah but of course uh of course we get the the dad there and he she kind of confronts him at the end but the big thing is to me the the crying scene where they just Man, they really, really went for the crying. Well, they they have to realize that they're... I mean, you've got that big operatic moment, and then it has to hit them that they're the only ones for each other, that they're they're locked in this together. Whether, mm-hmm. whether she wants to be in love with Nicolas Cage or not, she's in it. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those times I wish I wasn't so lazy and I looked at what the opera they were watching and what was happening in that scene. Okay, see, so I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. So I assume there's something reflected from the stage to them. Oh, she's dying. The the main Mimi, the character in La Boheme, she and the, I forget the, the character's name, but they're in this tragic love affair and they were separated they come back together, but it's just at the moment that she's dying from tuberculosis. So she dies in his arms. And so they're, they, you know, Cher's obsessed with bad luck. The, the La Boheme romance is the ultimate case of poor timing and bad luck for two characters who are so in love with each other. Uh, see, I'm what happens when you know opera through the Looney Tunes. So. <laughs> well, I mean, Bugs Bunny's Valkyrie is truly the greatest of Valkyries. I mean, it does not get any sexier than Bugs Bunny in drag. I will say, yeah, it sent a lot of confusing messages to me as a young man. <laughs> um, I've killed a lot of rabbits by accident. No. <laughs> oh, very of mice and men of you. <laughs> oh, boy. Speaking of Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> um, and so while all of this is happening, um, there's another man. <laughs> There's another man who's also very confused, and that is Fraser's dad and uh, John Mahoney. John Mahoney, it's a great scene at the beginning of the movie when the young woman splashes water on him, and then he demands that that her 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 food and plates be Remove taken away in a bo- in a glass of vodka, right? And and vodka be brought to him. Because that is exactly what happens again. Um, Rose goes out to dinner alone because her husband is out at the opera without her. And John Mahoney is has another big breakup scene and goes through the same motions. 
And Rose takes this as an opportunity to sort of have a friendly dinner interrogation with him on why do men chase women? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, she, she's looking for a very specific answer, which is men are afraid of death. And, um, but there we just kind of get this, this mature dissection on love and what people expect from it. What I get, it's interesting. Yeah, what I get from John Mahoney is the same thing I got from Cher's dad, uh, in this movie is that, and we see him because he does almost the same dialogue, yeah, clear away any trace of her, bring me a, you know, glass of vodka. That it's, he's in a similar way. And yeah, hey, whatever, age is a number, but we all know when we see a guy with somebody that's 20 and he's 50, this man is not mature and not willing to embrace certain parts of reality. So this is a guy that's maybe afraid to be hurt. He likes the control. So he's only with these people that will outgrow him. And he knows this and he repeats the pattern because he's not going to be hurt because he knows, he knows it's coming. And spending time with Rose, he is enchanted by being with someone that uh, is his own age and has the same experience and is mature and that there's a moment when he's like this other life he could have. And that's why yeah. there's some lingering at the end of their time together. He's so cold. When he... Yeah. Oh, God, that. <laughs> <laughs> After she already rebuffs his advances and he's that like, so oh, cold. so cold. <laughs> and I was <laughs> scanning my brain to like, when have I done that? <laughs> How many years ago was that? We're like, okay, I guess I'll go home. If Wait. you're cold, they're but... cold. <laughs> Let in your lecherous old men. <laughs> But yeah, so he's a real DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm glad you said it before I had to. But he plays it so I couldn't cute. let the joke sit there and get too old, so I had to say it. Right. No, yeah. Keep it Keep it fresh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like when she calls him a little boy, and then he gives her a little boy smile. Yeah. He, John Mahoney does yeah. it perfectly. Which, okay, so John um, Mahoney, real quick. He is a cutie. Like, I've always known him as, as Frazier's yeah. dad, and I've always said, yeah, whatever, I hadn't thought about it. But he is really a handsome man in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, Shira, are yeah. we talking about, like, if you were a student of his, would you be out to dinner with him? I would probably go out to dinner with him. I mean, I don't know if I would go out with him for a few weeks, but maybe long enough to throw a drink in his face, because that sounds like fun, especially at the Grand Chichino. <laughs> That's such a, I love that classic movie move, the drink in the face. I, I've yeah. honestly just always wanted someone to do that to me. So Shira, the next time we're in person, if you could just throw a cocktail in my face, I would be grateful. Uh, well, you'll just have to remember that you, you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> you can play this in court. <laughs> I have the evidence. I've got the receipts. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so he, he gives us that, that nice little monologue about how she, like these, these young women are seeing him and these ideas for the first time, but that kind of spark doesn't last and he's never had something beyond that, but she has, and she is not interested in sort of 
like she you're right she rebuffs him and she does a very good job at like not succumbing to the cold shivering puppy dog eyed cutie pie that is john mahoney she sends him home she's like nope time for you to go home and while she Mm -hmm. yeah you're right 10 times more alluring um and while she's at home johnny johnny boy is on his way there as well because he's got some news for loretta just in time Uh, he shows up at loretta's just in time he shows up at loretta's home looking for her because where else would she be on a weekday night right i'm assuming it's a weekday but where else would she be she's to be engaged she shouldn't be out even on a weekend with a man anywhere. yeah even on a weekend i can't imagine right. that character would be out doing anything after a certain hour yeah so like where what where is she um well it doesn't really matter because loretta kind of is sizing up him and they they just they get to interact and Cosmo comes home and it's like, where were you? It's like, I, I don't know where I was. I don't know where I'm going to be. Leave me alone, woman. Uh, <laughs> and and Johnny leaves. But Johnny has this weird vibe about him where, like, I think Danny Aiello just conveys, like, he foreshadows what's about to happen perfectly. Because, again... I'm not here for that tension of two brothers fighting over the same woman kind of thing. As someone who's never seen this movie before, when Danny Aiello was like, I need to talk to her about something, I immediately was thinking, oh, he he does not want to marry her. <laughs> like, that's how this is going to end. Like, that's there's no other way this movie can end. This is This is how a rom-com like this should end, because... Like, we're in wrap-up mode now. <laughs> I don't need there to be all this big explosion of fighting just to have everyone kiss and make up at the end. Um, and so Danny Aiello portrays it perfectly, and he says, I'll be back tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning comes, and everyone starts showing up. And okay, everyone. We've got Loretta shows up. Everyone. <laughs> uh, Danny Aiello movie, The Professional, another great one, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so everyone starts showing up. First, it's Loretta, and Loretta has got the Necromancer Love Bite TM on her neck. <laughs> Bad sign because she's wearing uh, last night's her clothes. fiance. Right. Uh, her fiance was not with her last night. So how does she have a love bite? Um, and she, we just get this kind of hectic, big finale rush as people start to come in. Uh, Ronnie, of course, shows up because why wouldn't he? He shows up and immediately declares that he is going to like throw a wrench in everything and confront his brother about the fact that he is now in love with Loretta. He wants the big uh, fight. We've got family. Yeah, he's kind of looking forward to it. He wants it. to go uh, full Springer. He's, he's thought about it. Again, five years of shoveling coal into an oven to make bread. Uh, 
And so the family shows up. My favorite little moment in this whole scene is when the shop keeps people show up. And they're like, uh, what happened to that money yesterday? And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. They're like, okay, because we didn't think you took it, but you were acting weird yesterday. And then they sit down for breakfast. They're like, they're just part of the family. Um, it's very cute. It's very fun. But I, I mean, I don't know. I think you guys should go into the big ending because the movie ends with just like, what? <laughs> he doesn't want to marry her. And so then Ronnie immediately He doesn't proposes. get down on his knees, but she doesn't need him to. He does not. She doesn't care because she loves him. Right. Yeah. Yep. I do and like the bit, though, where she gets movie... mad at Johnny for wanting to call. Like, you made a promise. <laughs> I love yeah <laughs> another one of those strong character moments like we we know Cher's character by this point and the fact that yeah she has that reaction is ultimately not surprising um but, but with the way that the movie um doesn't drag it out it's like all right here are all the threads that we started from the uh, title card yep. and now here we're going to wrap them all up in this very fun kind of silly way cute way like when they're all sitting around at the kitchen table waiting for Johnny to show up and uh, there's a moment yeah. where uh, Grandpa goes, somebody tell a joke. Like, it's just that sort of there's <laughs> tension in the air. And nobody, and the people that have just joined don't quite know what's going on. You know, the uncle and the aunt come in and they're sitting around and like, uh, so what are we doing? Like, I, I just really like that because the whole movie's about that uh, family relationship. And that in that moment when uh, Johnny does show up, and, you know, I need to talk to you alone. Cher's character is, uh, I need my family around me right I now. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that it, it all happens. And then, it, you know, once that happens, once the uh, engagement is off, Nick Cage is like, uh, hey, can I borrow that ring? And then, you know, yellow belly, little Danny Aiello, which, by the way, this is the, and I love this movie, but this is the only movie I've ever seen Danny Aiello as this kind of character. Usually he's a tough guy. So it's also funny to right. watch him be basically a little uh, schoolboy with his hair parted in the middle. Because I don't think there's any other role he ever did that was like this. Because usually he's like a mobster yeah. or something. He Johnny is so flabbergasted by the entire thing that he, he, he just holds the ring out for Ronnie <laughs> to take. Um, but yeah, all of the threads are just, whoop, they're all done. There's three, three big things really that need to be taken off people's chests. The, um, Cosmo's father has to tell Cosmo to pay for the mm -hmm. wedding and he does. And it's like, okay, Rose tells Cosmo, Hey, stop seeing Mona. And he's like, okay. And then they're like, oh, by the way, I don't want to get married to you, and uh, I'm going to marry your ex-fiance and all this crazy stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. And it just, it's very weird, but again, like, a lot of this movie is kind of about characters kind of, like, expressing themselves from within and kind of, like, being their own harsh critics and having this, like building these worlds around them the way I, I don't know it just 
it's all very weird, but it kind of just fits, and there's no other way that, like, I would have wanted the movie to end. I thought you would have liked that. So, Eric, famously <laughs> on this podcast, Brett has hated every romantic comedy that has an extended makeup scene. For instance, Notting Hill, where mm. she Notting chases after him. Ones. And then he has to chase after her. How long are you staying in England? Indefinitely. Uh, you know, but <laughs> but they really kind of drag it out. So I, I always like to point it out. Every time a romantic comedy has a very neat and swift wrap up. Did you appreciate it, Brett? Oh, yeah, definitely. It I it. It was weird and bizarre and like like there's part of me that's like I think there's a little bit of maybe mispotential there with some of the the thematic threads like I I kind of just I don't know I, I wish that there was one tiny little bit more cherry on top to to put it all together but the fact that it just ends like that with just everyone going like let's just celebrate yeah, let's love have a party. is it's nice <laughs> i mean yeah I, I i like that we don't have that moment in all movies or many movies excuse me where you just think just tell that person your secret or just just say it out loud and we don't have to have all this stuff before we get to the end like i i do like that it does that um, but it is surprising because I feel like there aren't a lot of romantic comedies, certainly of this era, where there isn't that extra layer of, all right, let's have a miscommunication or a misunderstanding and like, let's drag this out and have a breakup and a makeup. Yes, I will say as a fan of romantic comedies, even I can admit that romantic comedies love noble idiots who just do things instead of just having that one simple conversation to explain themselves and move on. And, and it feels like more of an exception to have a movie like Moonstruck where we just have it all out in the last five minutes of the movie and then we have a big party. Yeah. Like, as, as someone that's not noble and an idiot, I appreciate how this movie <laughs> resolves itself. And that it kind of, it does play into how the, except for the affair that is happening between Vincent Gardini and Olympia Dukakis, or excuse me, but, you know, happening in their marriage, uh, everybody seems to be very blunt and open about how they feel about things. Like, it's just, we're going to hash this out. And I do want to give a special shout out to Vincent Gardini's, this, this uh, exchange when uh, Olympia Dukakis tells him, hey, stop seeing her. He doesn't say anything. He stands up. He slams his hand on the table, grips it for a moment, the edge, and then sits down. There's something about that that I find. Okay. I, I find it, yeah, just completely uh, adorable, and it's so stagey, and it's such a strong character choice. But then when he afterwards, when he has that little extemporaneous monologue about, like, uh, you know, what does a man life, what does a man's life amount to, and all this midlife crisis stuff, and they have that exchange when she just like. Your life has meant something. And they both get a little teary and he's like, yeah. Te It's not yeah. built on nothing. Te amo. Exactly. Te amo. Yeah. And, and you, you see him say it to his daughter. He says it to Cher afterwards. It's, you know, 
yeah, I I agree with you. I felt like that was a a really a really good character choice and and mom, you know, like I I always want to roll my eyes when people talk about show don't tell, but that was a great show don't tell moment. Yeah, it's really it's and I, I, it's funny to say this about this movie, but that moment, even though it's a little over the top with him standing up and slamming a table, is underplayed ultimately because it's done with minimal dialogue and it's just watching Olympia Dukakis's face when she sees that he understands finally what she's telling him and she holds back tears a little and drinks her coffee. Like that's like a master class. Oh yeah. And she's, she's such a magnificent actor. And um, Brett, I know you said you hadn't seen other stuff that she's been in, but I, I think you should check out some other things that she's done because she's worthwhile. Uh, Starburst, I think it's called. It's a great movie she's in. She and, um, the Pigeon Lady from Home Alone 2 are an elderly lesbian oh. couple that go on the run. Uh-huh. Ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I haven't seen it's that either. It's so good. I, I haven't seen it in a few years, but it's really wonderful and sweet. Cloudburst, excuse me. Oh, Cloudburst. Cloudburst. So, okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, her face um, acting in this movie was incredible. Yeah. And no, yeah, you're right. I think the Cosmos moment where he stands up is um, it's kind of like characters. Characters are kind of hit with things that they they don't expect, but maybe they were like they he was expecting his wife to probably find out and confront him. But the fact that she did it so bluntly and was like, no, just just stop. Mm -hmm. He stands up and it's almost like he had this whole argument prepared, but all he can do is slam his hand down because it's like, you're right. Like at the end of the day, what is he going to say? He slams his hand down as if to say you're right and then just sits down and all men, even though men are are wolves, <laughs> at the end of the day, we're all tameable and we can all be told to sit and we will. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so he sits and then he, you're right. Then they actually go over like, oh yeah, why they still are in love, and and it wasn't for nothing, and all that. It's it's very nice. So is it is it time we ask the question? Oh, I can't wait. So I'll I'll put it to you first, Eric. Who would you kill from this movie? Oh gosh, um, I gotta say, um. I don't like the look of the feel of that mortician at the beginning of the movie that gets but some uh, butter on his tie. <laughs> now, they, anybody that says out loud they're a genius deserves to die. Um, <laughs> that's my official stance. <laughs> yeah, he. I, I was hoping to maybe get another one or two scenes of him just showing up to. To creep us out a it little bit. It does feel bit. like he there's was, something there. Immediately yeah, there's something with there's something yeah. there with that character that I'd like to see explored. What about you, Brett? Um, I am going to go ahead and do probably one of my most merciful mercy kills, and I'm gonna kill the lady who is so tormented by <laughs> Ronnie's love that she cannot even confess her own love. Oh, how could you kill that I angel? I feel so... <laughs> she needs to just... No. <laughs> I, I'm i going to do it, man. I don't want to do it, but if that's... 
if that's like her idea of peak love mm. and she it's never gonna get better for her she's gonna be tormented forever oh, especially when she finds uh, out that he's so, marrying Cher oh, oh my gosh it's gonna be a whole like the omen thing this is all for you Damien <laughs> at the wedding she's gonna jump yeah. off a ledge with a noose around her neck she's done. Um, yeah, so how about you, Shira? Who are God, you offing? this is so hard, because I really don't want to kill anyone. Um, but... Yeah. I, so at first I was thinking, like, oh, maybe Cosmo, but then we have this really great moment with him, and, and I, I feel like, Eric, in particular, you sold it so well, that, that character growth. You know, I might want to kill i know this is terrible but i might want to kill john mahoney because the student body yeah. of nyu the, the female student body yeah. they, they deserve a break man like give those girls some space um yeah I mean, if this was real life i bet john mahoney his character had done some terrible things <laughs> yes if we're being real yeah, yeah, no. Moonstruck would not fly as his his actions would not stand up to uh 2022 standards. Um no. but but yeah, as adorable as he is, he, I think he might have to go. Yeah. He's got to go. That's how they get go. you. They're cute. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that little I'm so cold. So cold outside. <laughs> He's a regular uh, Justin Long and Barbarian. If anyone has seen that movie, <laughs> oh, I've heard good things. I've heard very oh, it's, good it's things. Wonderful, Brett. Have you seen it? Uh, not yet. No, but it, it is sounds on my like a Brett yeah. movie to me for sure. No, as few things yeah. as possible going into it. If you haven't been spoiled already, yeah, I don't know anything. Okay, so I highly recommend. I'm looking it. forward. It is bonkers. So now comes our time to get into remixes. When we review a rom-com, we remix it into a horror movie. And this time, our ghoul friend, Eric, you have agreed to remix this movie. I'll, I'll ask you what I like to always ask Brett, which is how easy or difficult was it to make this into a horror movie? So it was pretty easy. Um, I, I will say that uh, much like when I was a student, I, I didn't really start thinking about it until uh, midnight before it was due. Um, oh, that's so very much I, our style I, here. But, yep. So I have notes and an idea, but I couldn't think of an ending. And so I'm interested to see what you guys think would be a proper ending for this. So, so all right, we open on a full moon. Um, we have Grandpa. He's out walking his dogs, as he always does. Uh, he, he trips a little. He lets go of the leash, and all those dogs rush off into the darkness. Uh, and as he, he calls out their names, he hears something growling that doesn't seem like one of his dogs. And uh, as much as I would like to have a full-on uh, you know, throat pull mutilation, uh, we're going to be tasteful for the opening and set the tone. So he... He calls out, and we see his face, and then another shot of the moon, and then a scream. And uh, a howl. Because obviously, if this is Moonstruck, I mean, I didn't feel like I could go any other way except to involve the moon. So uh, this version is... So it's also called Moonstruck. Well, this is called Moonstricken. Oh, Moonstricken. 
Ooh. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're stricken by the moon. So, you know, we then are with Cher at the mortuary, and she is in, in the start of this film, talking uh, with the uh, undertaker while she's doing the bookkeeping, and he's been describing these um, corpses that have been coming in that he's oh, doing nice so much touch. work on. Because he's... he's Oh, he probably loves the fact that they're mutilated because oh, yeah. it gives him a challenge. That's the thing, yeah. He's going on and on about how they they look and how much work it is and how it, how much of a genius he is because he's got to use all kinds of putty and filler. It's it's a lot harder than it usually is because there are a lot of animal attacks out now in uh, in New York for some reason in these parks. And so ultimately what we find out, so the grandfather is actually a werewolf the whole time. So even before Ooh. this him out walking the dogs and everything. This is a misdirect because he killed Cher's husband because he was a werewolf. And he knew he's from the old country. He knew he was. Picture it, and Sicily. He, he, yeah, exactly. So he kills him to save the family and save the, you know, the future generations because he also doesn't want that in the family. But here she is, and she's been dating this milk toast guy, and so uh, you know everything's fine. But when she meets Nick Cage, she, she's the wolf in him. He's also a werewolf, and the only reason the grandpa knows that for sure is because one night in the park, once he was transformed, he attacked Nick Cage and took his hand. Oh, nice! Oh, so he's now determined to kill Nick Cage and save his granddaughter. So. We've got the whole thing. We still have some of the same stuff going on where the old woman is in the airport talking about curses. It's kind of a Maria Ospenskaya from the original Wolfman kind of a vibe. All right. Like she goes into a bit more detail. And so basically he killed the husband to protect her and now he's got to do it again. And John Mahoney is a professor of the occult. Oh, you so always got to have that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to have something that's, uh, that's knowledgeable so these characters aren't blind. So Olympia Dukakis has seen him on television. And so given the era, let's say he was on Phil Donahue, uh, <laughs> you know, selling his wares. He's got a book and maybe some cassette tapes uh, about uh, saving yourself from uh, werewolf attack, uh, vampires, whatever. And she... Behind the stages on Phil Donahue, does he have like a bunch of goth groupies? Oh yeah, like oh, and they're yeah. all uh, women he's dated, and he's uh, yeah, he's, right. He's kind of a combination of uh, oh gosh, what's his name from uh, Fright Night? Um, oh, the older actor in that movie. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 Peter Cushing. Oh no, no. Gosh. yeah, uh, no. He was a young uh, Shira. He was in a bunch of uh, Liz Taylor movies when she was a young girl. Roddy McDowell. Okay, so he's kind of a Roddy McDowell type. And uh, I see. It. So she, she, so Rose is aware that something strange is going on, and we get a lot of great scenes in the home where there's obviously a weird relationship with the grandfather and Rose. Anyway, he seems very detached, and maybe he doesn't like her. Um, and so we get a lot of shots of him just sort of wandering around at night. We hear him, you know, pitter-pattering, or sometimes she's leaving a room and he just stands there with his, you know, sunken, puffy eyes that that, that man has. <laughs> and 
she suspects when she sees him come home one night that he's got one less dog and he's got some blood on him. So she's concerned Mm -hmm. and she happens to see uh, John Mahoney at this restaurant and uh, the conversation they have sitting together one-on-one is more about, I think this is happening. And he gives her the backstory and blah, blah, blah. And these attacks have started happening. And this is kind of where I got stuck is how to bring the threads together. So do you guys have any ideas? Ooh. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I feel like while this is going on, maybe Cher is starting to awaken. Like maybe it's not like Rose where she's practical and investigative, but you know, like Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman in Dracula where she's kind of like feeling the werewolf energy, like it's rubbing off Mm -hmm. on her. Like she's becoming more wolf-like or maybe he's preparing to turn her to kind of amp up the tension. So not only are there stakes for, okay, Rose has to figure out what's going on with grandpa, but she also has to save her daughter. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I had trouble figuring out what Vincent Gardenia's situation in this story would be. Maybe he's like the dad in The Conjuring where he just doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> he's just going and scraping pipes and uh, banging Mona yeah. and coming home and he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Mona obviously has to be a victim. Oh, yeah. No, Mona's got to go. Oh, she's, yeah. She's got horror movie victim written all over her. Uh, oh, yeah. And Cher finds that necklace she was wearing, that birds and stars and moon that Vincent oh, Gardini right. gave her. Yeah. And maybe it's on Nick Cage. Like, he's Ooh. got it on his person. And that maybe sets off her first real sense that something is amiss. Like, she has real solid evidence, finally. But what if she's kind of into it at the same time? Like, she's she mm. runs to the monster, you know? And, and maybe mm. that makes him more what? dangerous, where, like, Rose is the only one who really has any sense. Yeah, because... Cher does obviously run towards the monster in this movie. Cause in, in Yeah, what if what if at the end they like they end up designing their own little road show where like he's able to transform into a <laughs> werewolf and she like tames him on stage, but it's dangerous because he's a werewolf, so he could overcome her at any time. But she Sexy. like she's the only one she's the only one who can keep him from being a true he's he's a wolf but not a monster what if it's like a point break thing where it's like rose has a showdown between herself and i don't know maybe we kill grandpa ultimately because he's out of control um Mm -hmm. but when it comes to Cher and nick cage Cher has to decide is she gonna go back to mom or is she gonna run off into the night with her monster partner and i mean i'm not saying that rose has to fire a gun in the air um but maybe she lets her go <laughs> and it's very emotional yeah. Ooh, yeah okay i like that a lot but she can fire the gun in the air if, if we want her to well right. she throws pizza dough in the air where it spins <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> the last shot of the movie. <laughs> the moon and the pie becoming one. Well, that's amore, right? 
All right, so I think we have a, a movie on our hands. I know. I mean, somebody call a producer. I feel like we got something here. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I, I like that you went with werewolves. I felt like with the, the moon yeah. and the, the wolf, uh, wolf coming up multiple times in the movie, I was trying to think if there was another way it, with all this bad luck talk. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you nope. really have to work it into the, the curse of being a werewolf. Like, bad luck is being a werewolf. And old, it's got the old country vibe. It's just, yeah, there, I don't think there's another way to make this into something that doesn't at least have one werewolf in it. Oh, yeah. For sure. Let me, let me ask you a question. Is the moon like the moon in the rom-com Moonstruck, where it is a full moon... <laughs> Every single night. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we have to do that. <laughs> or the movie yeah. takes place over many, many, many months. Right. <laughs> Ooh, maybe John Mahoney can have a moment where he explains that this is like a a weird special time in the calendar where the moon appears full for multiple nights in a row. And so it's like an extremely dangerous right. time. Oh, yeah. It's an extremely dangerous time to be in love with a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. But we, you know, still have to wake up every morning, go to work, eat our pasta. You know, we can't let it hold us back. Yes. Not the oily fish, just the manicotti. <laughs> when she said that, she's such a good actor, I got a stomachache. Got the oily fish? <laughs> yeah, you don't want that oily fish. Oh, uh, well, I I think that was perfect. I I loved it. Uh, well, before we get into our love bites, I think it is only appropriate that we tell people where to find you, Eric, if they want more Eric Samaniego in their life. Well, if they do, I'm I'm sorry, and they should seek help. But I do co-host a podcast with uh, an old friend of yours, Shira. Oh yeah, another right, cool friend. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's done the show. I, I he uh, he mentioned to me because I told him I was doing it, and he was very excited. And we definitely want to have uh, not just you back, Shira, but Brett. I would love for you to join us at some point uh, to do our show. So it's it's yeah. trash in the can. Uh, he and I both have an affinity for uh, grindhouse, drive-in, sort of forgotten movies, and they don't always have to to fit that bill because we've done lifetime movies, we've done all kinds of things, just anything where somebody. <laughs> is swinging for the fences. And like I said at the beginning, like I feel like there's almost always something to appreciate about the experience of watching a movie. Now that is, I'm tested constantly when we do the show <laughs> because sometimes it's hard to find, but you get gems. There, there are a few movies we've done on the show that have become some of my favorite movies because they're just so out there and it's, it's people being brave and telling a story. So when I recognize truth in one of these crazy movies, then that's the most fun. But we are on a, a part of the One of Us podcast network. So if you go to oneofus.net or search Trash in the Can on Spotify or wherever you get your um, podcast, uh, you can find us. But um, yeah, so uh, we look for the most obscure or odd or just uh, weird little movies. And uh, we talk about them and we explore the forgotten 
I love it. And I couldn't agree with you more. I really feel like the worst thing a movie can be is just boring. I'd rather watch a bad movie that just, you know, goes for it than watch a prestige movie that bores me to death. Oh, yeah. And I think this day and age, not to sound like a codger, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of studio pictures without a lot of uh, interesting uh, or imagination going on. So I'm more than happy to watch something that might be, quote unquote, terrible, but have something really passionate going on there. An actor's performance, the writing, something. Well, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, as someone who watches a lot of kung fu movies, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the the genuine approach to to everything that they have. Um, yeah. Well, as for where to find us, we are also wherever you listen to podcasts, and we encourage you to leave us a review. Also, go listen to Trash in the Can and leave Eric and Wright a review as well. Uh, You can follow us on social media at NecromancerPod. Now then, let's get into Love Bites, where we like to recommend to our listeners things that we are into right now. Eric, do you have anything for us? Well, uh, there is a documentary that I've owned for years now, and it's been in a box, and I kind of forgot about it, but I was getting rid of some things and cleaning out the closets to make room for more Muppet stuff, and uh, I found my copy of it. It's uh, Lance Bangs and Spike Jones. Around the time that Spike Jones did the uh, Where the Wild Things Are feature, mm-hmm. there's a documentary uh, called A Portrait of Maurice Sendak. Tell them anything you want. And it's a few visits they had with uh, Maurice Sendak towards the end of his life. And it's, I guess documentary doesn't quite describe it. It's more like um, this meditation with this artist and uh, asking him what he feels about life. There's certainly memories and things that happened to him, but it's more a, a philosophy. Ooh. And um, it's incredibly moving. Um, I, I don't remember. I think it came out shortly before he passed. But uh, as someone who always had a affinity for his illustration, because the kids that he drew looked more like me than the cute little blonde kids that you saw in other books. His, <laughs> his kids were always sort of chunky and uh, had unibrows and all kinds of things. So it's just really interesting and sweet to, to hear this person talk about life. And some of it's not always upbeat. He's kind of contending with the fact that he will die soon. He's lost a lot of people. He died. His uh, partner of many years uh, had passed just before this. And I think it's uh, an interesting meditation. And certainly as I've my birthday is next month, and even though I'm only going to be 37, I'm certainly thinking a lot about death <laughs> so, and getting old. So that was something that was on my mind, and I think it's, uh, it's really special. So it's time to start dating a bunch of college students? Yes, yes. I mean, I'm halfway there. I am, I am recently divorced, so, you know, I'm really building up to that. <laughs> so, I like, so a portrait of uh, Maury Lundley? Uh, Maurice Sendak. Or Maurice Sendak. No, um, one of the creators was that. Um, But yeah, so a portrait of Maurice Sendak. And he's an illustrator? 
Yeah, so he did Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, yes. And uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, tell them anything you want, a portrait of Marie Sendak. Wow, that sounds really cool. I, I like documentaries that kind of break the format of a documentary and are are more meditative or, you know, just focused on exploring one person. So that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's great. So I highly recommend it. What about you, Brett? What do you got for us? Well, um, a little while ago, Sonia took me to a town called Marfa. And there we stayed at one of the hotels where we stayed in the room where James Dean stayed when they shot the movie Giant. And so... And so, as tradition would have it, on our last vacation, uh, Sonia took us to one of the last remaining Harvey hotels, which if you don't know about the Harvey girls, you gotta look up the Harvey girls. Basically, this guy Harvey uh, got a bunch of girls to go out west and act in a certain way at a restaurant and be very hospitable to all the rowdy westerners heading out west. Um but we went to Las Vegas, wait for it, New Mexico, and there while we were in the hotel, which was one of the last true remaining Harvey hotels, uh, we watched a movie called The Harvey Girls with Judy Garland, where she plays a woman who goes out west uh, to marry someone, but it turns out the person she married wasn't who it turns out to be. So what does she do? She gets a job at the Harvey house. And um, I recommend the Harvey Girls. <laughs> it's Judy Garland, who I haven't really seen it, a lot of her stuff either. Um, she just plays this very spunky young woman who essentially like runs the town, like gives the like brings this sort of new life into this this town and kind of tames it kind of doesn't but uh she has this amazing scene where she sort of holds up a salon a saloon at gunpoint it's very comedic it's very funny um and it's very educational um (laughs) so the harvey girls it's a it's a it's a fun movie and it's got a very young angela lansbury in it who plays like the sexy other lady oh wow Oh, well, I think Angela Lansbury yeah. is sexy at all ages, so I, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'd like to murder yeah. that, you know what, <laughs> he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so how about you, Shira? What's your love Well, bite? we talked a lot about how operatic uh, Moonstruck is, and coincidentally, I recently watched a new-to-me rom-com called Falling for Figaro, uh, which is about a woman who leaves her high-paying job to move into a small town. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Uh, (laughs) And in this case, she gives up the big city job because she's always dreamed of singing opera and so she goes to this small english town to be taught by joanna lumley uh from absolutely fabulous of all people how to be a great opera singer 
And then there is a man in the town who is also training to be an opera singer, the titular Figaro that we fall for. Uh, and it's a very cute movie. And, you know, it, it, it's one where, um, you know, spoiler alert, but Brett, you would appreciate the way that things are resolved in this movie. Uh, and they're, of course, competing for uh, this uh, opera competition that's supposed to be a fast track to getting into the opera world as an amateur and it's, you know, I, I really appreciated this movie. I also liked it because the lead actress is Danielle McDonald, who was the lead actress in another movie, Dumplin', where she, her oh, mother wow. is uh, played by Jennifer Aniston, and she's a big girl. She decides to enter a pageant. But I liked her so much in Dumplin', I thought, you know, what else has Danielle McDonald done? And I saw that she'd done Falling for Figaro. And so I, I, I followed her to that, and I, I really like this movie. This movie focuses a lot less on her weight and appearance. You know, she's just a cool lady who's, <laughs> who's trying to make it as an opera singer. And then uh, Figaro, it's not his real name, but the, the male opera singer is played by Hugh Skinner, who I think would be most familiar to people as the ex-boyfriend of Fleabag in the show Fleabag. And... So I had kind of only seen him before in these roles where he was playing a cad or, you know, you know, kind of a Danny Aiello type in uh, in Moonstruck where he's the wrong guy. But here he's very sweet and you feel for his passion, their shared passion for opera. So I think if you saw Moonstruck and you wanted more people who were passionate about opera, then uh, I'd recommend watching Falling for Figaro. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me the young lady from uh, that movie, um, the Dolly Parton movie that you just mentioned, yes. is British? Oh, no, no, no. So she's an American living in Britain. Ah. See, I can never tell anymore. Oh, yeah. I see, an, mm -hmm. I see an actor do a press tour and suddenly like, wait, you're from Australia? <laughs> Those Australians are <laughs> everywhere, and the Kiwis, too. Yeah. All they right. took our jobs. All right, anyway. <laughs> they, they did. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have a wolf like you uh, on this podcast. Well, I, I appreciate uh, being here and uh, being called a wolf. Um, and before I go, it reminds me of a line from Abbott and Costello meet Wolfman. When Luke Costello is confronted by Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, he says... Uh, you don't understand at midnight if I turn into a wolf and Luca Stella goes, you and a million other guys. <laughs> I love that. I honestly, Brett, I don't think that uh, Big Daddy Mars could have said it better. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, good night. Good night.
Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.